invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms. We're going to look at Psalm 65 this morning, a psalm that is bursting with abundance of the goodness and grace of God to us. Psalm 65. Lord willing, we'll uh, begin the series on Leviticus uh, next week, and, um, but I thought it'd be good this morning to just focus again as we're making our way through the psalm. Psalm 65 is what we're up to. Let's give our attention to God's good word, a psalm of David. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness. O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe of your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for you have so prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. Let's bow together in prayer. Oh God, now we come before you and thank you that the spirit that inspired these words is also given now so that we might understand them. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would see just the truth of your being and the truth of your ways with us, uh, that we might live our lives, Lord, uh, with a profound sense of the reality of God and his goodness to us in Jesus. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Boys and girls, I have a simple scientific question for you this morning. Uh, it's, an easy, it's an easy question. I think we'll be able to, to do this. Uh, if I gave you a pair of glasses, just like this, but the lens were all blue, and you put them on, uh, how would that affect the way that you see the world? Right? If you have blue-colored lenses, well, you're going to see the world sort of with bluish tint, right? Everything's going to look blue. And if we put green in there, it's going to look green. And if we put red in there, it's going to look, it's going to look red. At least that's going to, it's going to ch- change and tint how we see everything we see. Uh, there's a, actually a scientific explanation for this. I found this online, so it, it, I'm, I'm sure it's true. It says, colored lenses change our perception of the world's colors by acting like filters. What they actually do is they absorb all colors of light except for whatever color the lens is. So if you're wearing blue lenses, objects that normally appear green and red will be harder to see because the blue light is getting blocked. It's getting absorbed by the lens. Well, what's true of, our, uh, of eyeglasses, it's also true for our minds. Uh, what we see as we look around us in the world, what we see depends largely on the filter that we have over our mind. And we all have uh, mental filters, lenses 
that are shaped by past experiences, uh, shaped by our idolatries, the things that we give ourselves to and hope in, and shaped in part by our personality. And those, those lenses over our mind function just like a lens in a pair of eyeglasses. Uh, they dramatically change, impact the way that you perceive the world. Well, Psalm 65 is a wonderful insight into what the world looks like when you are uh, living with or wearing God-colored lenses. Uh, when, when I read a, a Psalm like 65, it, it, and it's true wherever I read, um, if we're reading in Scripture, some, uh, um, somebody talking, maybe it's Paul, maybe it's Jesus, the, uh, uh, it's David, I, I like to ask, what are they seeing that what is what is Paul what does David here see that 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 uh, is the fountain of this psalm? Well, D- David is wearing a God-colored lens. This is what life looks like when you're uh, when you're looking at life through the reality of God, the, the nature of God, and and the ways of God. And so that's what we're going to look at together uh, this morning as we look at Psalm 65. What are the things that you notice? The things that you see? The things that are real to you when you're looking at life? through the reality of the God of the Bible. Well, the first thing you're going to notice is the sheer reality of God, specifically the worship of God, the fact that God is worthy of worship and adoration. So the psalm begins, Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall all vows be performed. Uh, it begins, the psalm begins with the most fundamental fact in the universe. That there actually is a God, a creating God, a God who is worthy in his glory and power and his goodness and truth and all of his attributes, a God who is worthy of praise. And he's worthy in, in such a profound sense that to fail to worship him is the greatest evil in all the world. So God is so worthy of worship that, to go, that for God to be unworshipped, unadored, unappra- unpraised, it's the greatest evil in the world. This pastor, in the pastor's post this, uh, this week, I recommended a, a book um, by Thaddeus Williams entitled Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth. It's a great book. And he's dealing with the topic of injustice. Uh, and the first chapter, he deals with the single greatest injustice in all the world. And he makes the point that since justice is about giving to others what is their due, that the greatest act of injustice then is to, is to refuse to give to the greatest other, God himself, what is his due. So that the, the greatest injustice in all the world is that God is not worshipped as he ought to be. And from that injustice springs every other injustice. So Williams says, all injustice is a violation of the first commandment. It all starts there. You shall have no other gods before me. That's where it all goes wrong. It's exactly what Paul says. If you remember in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, he begins to talk about the, the wrath of God is being revealed against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Well, why is the God uh, disposed that way towards men? Why wrath? Well, um, because, Paul will say it just a little later, because uh, men in their unrighteousness do not honor him as God or give thanks to him. They are not worshiping God. They are not giving God 
what is his due. That's the great sin of the world. And um, a Christian, a person who's been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, has had the, the, the blinders of sin removed so that we see differently and we see this single fact, this truth, this wonderful reality, that God is worthy of worship. The songs of heaven reverberate with, um, with the word worthy. If, if you remember the, in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 4, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Chapter 5, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That's worship. God is worthy of all praise, all glory, all honor. And he's worthy of this specifically in the church. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. David has a clear sense that God has called Israel into existence for a specific reason. It's not because of anything in them, but God has called them um, so that they would show forth the praise of God, that they would magnify and worship God in a, in a pagan, idolatrous world, that there would be a people who would declare that God is worthy of his praise. That's why Israel exists. Peter says much the same thing, that, that God has called you, he says, to Gentiles and Jews together who are being gathered by the power of the gospel. That God has called the church into being so that, quote, we might declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into light. The reason the church exists is to give God the praise which is his due. The hymn writer says, let those refuse to sing who never knew our God, but servants of the heavenly king may speak their praises abroad. It's Isaac Watts. Psalm 107, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. The desire, you see, of a Christian, a sinner who's been made right with God through the, through the work of Christ, the desire of a Christian uh, is that our life would somehow redound uh, in praise to God, that somehow that our life would show the, the goodness, the, the value, the worth of God, that God is worthy to be worshipped and to be praised. Fill thou my life, O Lord my God, in every part with praise, that my whole being and my way, uh, that my whole being may proclaim thy being and thy ways. And that's what David is going to move forward now. He's going to talk about the, the character of God and the, the saving acts of God and the protection of God and the provision of God, all, all the things that David sees as he looks at his life and looks at the world. And so let's begin with then verse 2. O you who hear prayer, to you all flesh shall come. As David um, reflects on God, one of the things that strikes David with great delight is the attentiveness of God. Oh, you who hear prayer. If you remember the story of Hagar, uh, she had been cast out uh, of uh, Abram's household, and she's out uh, in the wilderness with Ishmael, and, and um, she's in dire need, and she prays. And God, God hears her, and, and uh, she names God there, El Roy, the God who sees me. 
the God who sees me. Well, David here names God in a similar way, the God who hears prayer, the God who hears prayer. And to hear, it does not simply mean that he, he hears the audible voice of, of those who pray. It means that he answers. So Psalm 34, verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Jesus said in John chapter 11, 42, Father, I know that you always hear me. That is the character of God. He is a God who always hears. It's part of his glory. And it distinguishes, of course, the living God from every false God. It is, it is, it's a great distinction. Because every false God is deaf and dumb. Uh, the prophets make that point very eloquently. You grab a hunk of wood and, and you cut it in half and half you start your fire with and the other you make a God of and then you bow down to it. Well, uh, the, the, the gods of men cannot hear and they cannot speak. Uh, you might as well pray to a rock or pray to your living room couch as pray to Allah or Buddha. They cannot hear. They will not respond. They're not gods. There's only one God who hears prayer, the living God. John Calvin says this, the title here given to God carries with it a truth of great importance that the answer of our prayers is secured by this fact that in rejecting them, God would in a certain sense deny his own nature. The psalmist does not say that God has heard prayer in this or that instance but gives him the name of hearer of prayer as what constitutes an abiding part of his glory so that he might as soon deny himself as to shut his ear to our petitions. That's pretty profound. That because it is God's nature to hear prayer, that, that it's part of his glory to hear prayer, that God would in some sense deny himself to shut his ear to the petitions of his children. That's reason to give thanks to God. He is worthy of praise in Zion because he is the God who hears our prayer, a God who answers our prayer. Calvin goes on to say um, that this is a great incentive for Christians to pray because you're not speaking to an unattentive God, but a God who hears and answers prayer. David goes on to talk about another reason to, to worship God is his forgiving grace, verse 3. When iniquities prevailed against me, you atoned for our transgression. It's interesting that David addresses this issue of iniquity because uh, David realizes that sin is exactly what stands in the way of God hearing and answering our prayer. Sin is the problem, isn't it? Isaiah 59, verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. His ear is not dull so that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Sin creates a great chasm between us and God. And this is the great dilemma. Uh, we, we, um, we are, because of sin, mankind is removed from God's favor under God's wrath. And, there, and there's no way for us to heal it. There's no way for us to cross the chasm. So how, do we, how can we come close to God in prayer? Well, David, David knows the answer. Uh, 
God has made a way. God has crossed the chasm. God atones for transgressions. God atones for sin. In the Old Testament, he, there was a sign, of course, in the uh, sacrifice of animals. But the Old Testament saints realize an animal can't take away sin. They know it's pointing forward to something more. But they're convinced that because God has promised, they're convinced that God is willing to remove guilt so that his favor can shine once more and that somehow it's going to involve a sacrifice. And we know, of course, that God does this at the cost of the life of his own son. Now, the, the, the great question that the angels would maybe be asking is, why would God do this for them? Why would God do this? Such an incredible act of love and mercy. Why would God do this for, for these people, these Israelites? Why would he do it for the church? Well, the answer is, verse 4, God's electing love. Another reason to praise. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. David is profoundly conscious. And this is what happens when you put on God-colored lens. You realize that you did not go out looking for God. That is not why you're a Christian. It's not why you believe. That the fact that you are a Christian, the fact that you believe is owing to a single thing, and that is God's choosing of you. And that there was no reason for God to choose you outside of himself. There was nothing in you. And so um, a Christian understands blessed, blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. You see, because if we, if we think about what we deserve, we deserve to be forgotten by God, to be cast away from God, eternally without God. And why isn't that what we receive? And, and the answer comes back to because God made a loving choice. God chose. And God's choice is what makes an eternal difference in your life. It's, it's the difference between your eternal destiny. And that's the only reason. It's the only thing that separates you or me from the rest of the world. There's that God chose to, to, to rescue us. He chose to bring us near, to dwell in his courts, to, to live in his house. In other words, God chose to make us his adopted, beloved children. Calvin again says, The pardon which we daily receive flows from our adoption, and on it also all our prayers are founded. So that we don't pray as strangers, we pray as those that God has chosen to draw near and bring into his courts, to, to live in his house. We pray as God's children. And what, what comfort assurance that should give to our prayers. Uh, and, and what reasons for us to praise God then? Praise is due to God in Zion because we're the blessed people, infinitely blessed people, do not deserve this. And because God has chosen us, he also then will protect us and provide for us. And that's how David continues in the psalm. Look at uh, verses 5 and following. God's protection. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness. So God um, does not just respond timidly, tepidly, partly, but with awesome deeds. And, and as David is thinking about writing this, he's, he's very likely thinking about God's rescue of Israel out of Egypt. Uh, if in the time of Moses, he's likely thinking about God uh, preserving them in the wilderness with manna from heaven, uh, God bringing them into the land of Canaan against armies much greater than theirs, but by God's own power. 
And God's uh, awesome deeds can refer to personal deliverances. God uh, specifically intervening as he did so often to protect David from the attacks of Saul. You see, the, the point here is that when we look at the world, we, if you look at the world through lens of doubt, lens of fear, lens of unbelief, it will be very easy for you to miss a God who is engaged. It will seem to you as though God is not engaged. You will ask the question, where is he? But when we allow our mind to be molded by the truth of Scripture, we begin to look at life as, uh, in, in this world and we see a God who is sovereignly ordained, a, a God who is sovereignly engaged, a God who is ordained, a God who is ruling, a God who is uh, accomplishing his sovereign purposes. Someone posted uh, online this past week um, something that illustrates this wonderfully. This is what it says. Uh, Listen up, sisters. There isn't a woman in the Bible that God used who had it easy. Ruth didn't have it easy. Esther didn't have it easy. Sarah didn't have it easy. Hannah didn't have it easy. Bathsheba didn't have it easy. Mary didn't have it easy. Y'all better stop falling for that feel-good gospel and recognize that God's daughters don't have it easy. They have it anointed, they have it appointed, they have it highly favored, they have it predestined, and they have all had the victory. That'll preach. That's exactly, you see, what a life looks like through God-colored glasses. When you realize that your life is not an accident, your circumstances aren't just happening, that God has placed you exactly where he's placed you. And that your circumstances, both good and bad, are God at work. And it's not pat or cliche to say it. And though you don't understand the end from the beginning, he does. Uh, Looking through life with God-colored lens means to see your world as uh, a world where God is actively engaged with sovereign power to accomplish his saving purpose. And so notice the references to God's strength here. Verse 6. By his strength, God established the mountains being girded with might. That means that when you go and you, uh, you, you view mountains, maybe you'll take a trip this summer. When you look at a mountain and you see the might of God displayed, you can look at anything in creation to see the same. That might is the might that is engaged in your life. Um, he stills, verse 7, the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples. That's a good word for us today. We live in a world that is churning, a world in tumult. But it is not out of control. And God will still the tumult of the peoples. He's going to still the the roaring of the waves, which in, in the Old Testament, sea is often associated with evil. God's going to still everything that's evil in his time, in his way. God's in control. God is protecting his people. God provides, finally, for his people. And that's verses 9 through the end. It's full of agricultural imagery. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You see, these verses are a reminder that Israel is not like uh, really any of the other nations in the world. Every uh, ancient city, major city, 
uh, was founded on a river for good reasons. You need to, you need to have water. Uh, Egypt was, is famous for its river. Its river is what made Egypt the, the, the world power of its day. The Nile uh, provided water, not just for drinking, but for irrigation. They had a flourishing, uh, regular crop every year because you could irrigate with the Nile. And Israel doesn't have it. The Jordan River is barely worthy of being called a river. So Israel is completely dependent upon a different river, the river of God, uh, which is the rains. They're completely dependent on rain. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a, God intentionally puts them in a place where they are completely dependent upon him. But God provides. And so the rains come, and, and they are literally showers of blessing. Showers of blessing. Uh, Israel lives with this, with this wonderful reliance on God. Now, they don't always live there, right? They often will go to, to Baal to see if Baal can help bring the rain. That's what he was sort of known for. But, but when they do that, of course, what does God do? He closes up the heavens, shuts off the water supply until they repent and come back and rely upon him. But the Israelites every year then would go plant their crops knowing that the only way this is going to work is if God waters them which he does. Verse 10, you water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, blessing its growth so that it grows. And, and not only the, the, the fields of men, but the, notice the wilderness, the pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. It's a wonderful picture. I, one of the benefits of growing up on the farm is getting some sense of this. Every year, you spend a lot of money for fertilizer and, and fuel and seed, and you stick, you stick that in the ground, and then you wait. And, uh, and you're completely dependent upon the Lord. And it's a wonderful... Uh, uh, when, you, when the rain comes, particularly if it's been dry for a while, um, and, um, and things are starting to die... And you're praying, I mean, I mean, how many times did we just sit around the dinner table at night and we pray, Lord, send rain. And then the rain comes. And, and it does, it's not just a rain shower. It is a, it is a direct response of, of, of God's answer to our prayer. It's a sign of God's blessing. We're going to have a crop this year. It's a wonderful thing to remember. Boys and girls, do you know where your food comes from? Not Meyer. Not Aldi's not your garden. Uh, your food comes from God. All of it. All of it. Every day. Which is why, boys and girls, it's good to thank God every time you have a meal. Because he's giving you a gift. A gift that we don't deserve. And he does so abundantly. And that's what uh, I just want us to notice as we close out. He provides abundantly. Notice that this, these uh, verses ring with the language of abundance. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. Verse 10, you water its furrows abundantly. Verse 11, you crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The wagon tracks of God would be his, sort of his, uh, the, the chariot. The, the Bible in another place talks about the chariot of God, which is pouring out these blessings and uh, rain being one of them. And, and, and David says, boy, when, when God moves through, when his wagon goes through, there, there's, just, there's abundance overflowing. 
Verse 12, the wilderness, the pastures of the wilderness overflow. Uh, there's a theme here. God is abundant in his blessings. Let me ask you, uh, is that how you think about God? So when, when, you, when you think about God, do you, do, you, do you sense that God is miserly, that God is stingy? Or do you, do you sense that, that the God who is, is a God who overflows with abundance? Because isn't that actually the truth? And isn't that the, the experience of our lives, even in pain or loss, hasn't God abundantly blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? Hasn't he abundantly forgiven you? Abundantly loved you? Shown abundant kindness and compassion to you? Has not he made abundant promises to you? It's embarrassing what God has promised to us. To make us heirs with Christ of infinite blessing, the blessing of being in the very presence of God? And hasn't he blessed us materially? The homes that we live in, the food that we eat, the riches of family and life. Our lives are, are characterized, defined by the abundance of God. And Christians should note it and relish in it and worship because of it. We, we should note the same thing as a church, that God is not being miserly with us as a church. He's showering us with blessings. The blessing of being able to plant churches, the blessing of the finances so that we can call a church planner and we can call a pastor of evangelism and youth. The blessing of lives being transformed by the, by the grace of God and the gospel. We heard a wonderful testimony this past Wednesday night of someone just speaking of how the gospel finally broke through and able to realize that there was nothing we can do to gain the love of God. Something we all know to be true and yet to experience that is something else. And the power when that message finally comes home. We have the blessing of rich food to feed on week after week as we gather together for worship. We have the abundant blessing of children being born regularly to this congregation. And, 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 and so much health and vigor. We have the blessing of, 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 of families. Blessing of seeing children raised in the faith and making profession of faith. I just thought last night as we um, celebrated together with our, our, our youth group... There was just abundance everywhere. The abundance of fellowship, the abundance of, of brothers and sisters in Christ, the abundance of, of seeing uh, these kids use their, their gifts and, and uh, just an evening that was so rich with goodness. Why do we get this? Because God's abundant. He showers us with abundant blessings. And these are just the beginning. We're, we're, just, we're just getting the, the, the slightest taste of what God has in store for us. And this psalm has that sense that there's something more. There's, there's something that, that is going to happen. There's, there are ultimate blessings yet to come. So verse 2, to you all flesh shall come. Verse 5, uh, God is the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. That there's, there's something more. There's an expansiveness to um, the goodness of God and the experience of that goodness. Verse 4, we shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. David's not just talking about the earthly temple. When he writes this, the earthly temple doesn't exist yet. So 
He's looking towards the true dwelling place of God and that ultimate satisfaction is going to be found when we are in the presence of God. The presence of God. Psalm 17, verse 15 speaks of this. The put in song, when clothed in righteousness at last, thy glorious face I see. When all this weary night is past and I awake with thee to view the glories that abide, then, then shall I be satisfied. If you're not satisfied deeply, fully, thoroughly in this life, that's okay. You shouldn't be. The best is yet to come. And so we're, though we are abundantly blessed in this life. It's just the beginning and, and a God-colored colored lens will give you, uh, you'll, you'll be able to start seeing the faint outlines of that city that's yet to come, the city with foundations whose builder and maker is God. You'll start to see and sense eternal things, maybe, maybe sense in the air the, the, the scent of our homeland. And all of it assured to us, to you, by this abundant God who hears prayer and who has atoned for your sin and all of it in Jesus Christ. You see, to look through a God-colored lens is to look through a gospel-colored lens. This is how we know what God is like through Jesus' Son. This is how we can be confident our sins are atoned for and forgiven. This is how we know that we are loved. This is how we receive the abundance of God's goodness. This is how we are assured of our eternal inheritance in Him. And so... Friends, before you step out of the house in the morning, put on your glasses, your God-colored glasses. Open the Word. Let the Lord remind you of the way things really are, of who He really is and, and how He has actually blessed you and all that's yours in Jesus Christ. And then step out the door to see the world as it really is. And give praise. To God. Amen. O oh, you who hear prayer, I thank you, Father, that to you all men will come. God in heaven, what a great and merciful, gracious God you are. And how you've showered us with blessings. And how slow we've been to thank you and to, to praise you and worship you to trust you and love you. And Father, I, I just pray that, that you would help us as your people to see things as they truly are. I pray that you would give us the ability to see you and your goodness and kindness, to perceive your grace to us in an experiential way. Lord, I pray that you would give us the ability to know that our sins are atoned for in Jesus Christ as we have confessed them. I pray, Lord, that that truth would set us free to receive the gifts of your bounty as you provide for us and you protect us, that as we look around, we would realize every day the blessings we, we receive are, are simply because you chose to draw us near and, and to make us your children. And Lord, whatever trials that we're going through, whatever heartache we know and, and loss we feel, I, I pray, Lord, that in, through all of that, we would sense the abundant kindness and goodness of God to us and be able to receive all of his blessings knowing that we will not be ultimately satisfied until we see you face to face, but Father, convinced that one day we will see Jesus that way because you've promised it to us. 
Lord, forgive us for our unbelief. Forgive us for the, the way that sin has blinded us. Forgive us for our worldliness. I pray, oh God, that you would just give us the grace to see what's true, to look at life, this life, as it actually is, a life of blessing, a life where God is present, God is active, God is good, and that we would live then, Lord, with joy and thankfulness and worship and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond by singing together Psalm 65, praise waits for thee in Zion. All men shall worship there. Let's stand together and sing. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.